my last 15 years have been dedicated to getting the vision that I crystallized in The Hope, A Guide to Sacred Activism, out to the world. So I've been traveling the world, and I've been working with indigenous peoples. I've been working with animal rights. I've been working with the white lions of Timbavati and their glorious message. I've been working with the aborigines in Australia, making films. Currently, I'm engaged on three major film projects. I've just completed a film with Linda Tucker, who is the guardian of the White Lions, on the message of the sacredness of nature that they're bringing to us. It's going to be out for the Toronto Film Festival in September. I'm also working on a film about Ladakh, the place where I was transformed by meeting a great Tibetan master who is now reincarnated and whom I've met and whom I am going to do a film with, really film about the vision of the bodhisattva, the vision of the being who gives his whole life in service to others. And it's going to be a film about Buddhism at its most engaged and active to try and wake up the Buddhist community. And I've just finished a script, which has taken a long time because it's very hard to get right, on the life of Rumi. And I'm about to go to Istanbul to talk to the Turkish government because they're very interested in supporting it and to raise the money. And we hope to be in production by September. I have an amazing, the greatest living Iranian director and actor is going to be directing and acting in it. And I am completely thrilled because what I'm really concerned about at this moment is to get a message of sacred activism, of hope, of joy, of yes, we can, out to the world, because as everybody listening knows, we are now in showtime. We're now in an eruption of the shadow. We're now in a very dangerous time. The danger of the time contains a great opportunity, an opportunity to really get real, get down, and get going. So my life is dedicated to helping people to get real, get down, and get going. Sounds like a variation on Timothy Leary's line about uh, tune in, turn on, and drop out, but we're not dropping out, are we? <laughs> it's the opposite. Yeah. That didn't work. That yeah, we're was a temporary on. aberration. Now it's quite clear that if we don't have millions of people like we had so marvelously yesterday on the streets, really putting love into action, really standing up for truth and compassion and justice, the world is going to be handed over to the dark and ruined and devastated beyond repair. But the wonderful thing is that we have been woken up. The coma is over. Millions of people are now properly afraid of what could happen if there isn't a worldwide revolution of love in action. And everything that I'm doing as I come into my mid-60s, still vigorous and still wild after all these years, is to try and help people with everything that I've learned, to give away all the tools that I've been given, to inspire people at the deepest level Level, to claim their divine consciousness and to do serious spiritual practice so as to become strong and vital and vibrant and loving and joyful enough to really stand up now for the future of the planet. Well, this is a wonderful paradoxical nature of 
mysticism and self-awareness, we often run into, there's a Chinese saying, uh, I'm not sure if it's Confucius or Lao Tzu, that truth is always found in paradox. And so, Yes, paradox is God's signature, I call it. <laughs> so here we are, the worst of times, on the verge of what could be the second coming, the kingdom coming to earth, the absolute discovery of who we really are and what we're really for. Absolutely. The the light is always born out of the darkness, and the greatest and most powerful light is always born out of the deepest and wildest and most horrifying darkness. This is one of the supreme mystical laws, and we've just lived through a weekend which demonstrates that law. We had on Friday the inauguration of a narcissistic psychopath with a cabinet of billionaires and bankers, a swamp cabinet, a cabinet of people who are really dedicated to undoing the progress of the last hundred years. And that was a very painful and very despairing day for many people. And then yesterday, we had this huge flowering of tender rebellion all over the world in the name of the feminine. So you can see, if you've lived through this weekend, really feeling it at your depths, you can see how Kali is dancing. On the one hand, she's showing us absolutely inescapably what will happen if we continue to indulge the dark forces and continue to be ignorant of their power and continue to be in a coma about the devastation of their effect. And we've seen the massive goodwill and heartbreaking compassion and longing for justice and compassion in the core of millions and millions of extraordinary, ordinary people who are now, I hope to God and I pray to God, willing not only to protest but to organize that resistance into what has to become a worldwide resistance movement based on the deepest principles of love and peace, and prepared to stand up and make its voice heard and prevent the destruction of nature, prevent the horrible genocide of the animals, prevent discrimination, prevent the corporate agenda to enslave the planet and despoil the planet. We are in a tremendous moment of very empowering paradox, if we can see it. And many of us, thank God, can. And I feel at this moment far more empowered, far more joyful than I felt for many years, because for many years people were asleep. And the great gift of Donald Trump has been to bitch slap us awake. Carly has used that fat, weird man as a kind of club to beat us about the head and make us far more real. And it's very encouraging to see millions of people prepared to grasp that reality and to stand up for truth. Andrew, I need your help with something because I have been struggling for weeks, months now, to try to find better words and better ways of explaining another paradox, which is often presented to me by people who've dabbled in New Age thinking, New Thought thinking. Oh, my God. And, you know, a little bit of truth can be a dangerous thing. Yes. And, <laughs> you need the full truth, not the kind yeah, of half-truths that the New Age truth. has peddled, yes. 
And so I'm getting some pushback from people that said, well, wait a minute, I read an Abraham Hicks book, and they oh, say that... Oh, for God's sake. The whole you... problem with our spiritual movement is that it's been polluted by fake mysticism, and it's well, time to just unveil it as fake mysticism. Let me talk about the principle here. We understand the magnetic nature of consciousness. I don't think yes. that's debatable. And we understand the secret, even if it was commercialized and, uh, again, not very well grounded. But this idea that what resists persists. Right. Um, and why are we resisting? And why are we being so negative? And well, in this my is experience, well, let me just say, in my experience, Another aspect of this is love is always hidden in the center of fear. Right. That you have to target the negative if you're going to fix it. Well, and I think it's very important. A resistance movement is not just based on a no. It's not just based on a no to the completely destructive policies that are now in place. It's based much more profoundly on a great yes, a yes to compassion, a yes to justice. But you can't say yes with your whole being without noticing all the no's that are out there that are destined to destroy that yes. And you have to tell truth to power, but you don't tell it in a way that is full of hatred. You embrace the others, you give them a chance to change, but you oppose what they are doing from a spirit of true love of justice. This has always been the way of the true mystics. This is the way of the great prophets. This is the way of Jesus, who was very fierce about oppression, and nobody could have stood for the highest ideals more than he did. It's the way of the prophet, peace upon him, and it's the way of all the great sacred activists of history, of Martin Luther King and of Gandhi. And this idiotic notion, which has been so peddled in the New Age, that true spirituality means a kind of passivity in the face of rampant, destructive evil, is in fact a corporate plot. I believe deeply that a great deal of New Age mysticism has been allowed to proliferate because it keeps people in a coma of false spirituality, in a coma of passivity, at the very moment when the whole world is threatened by real forces of real darkness. So they have to be these fake mysticisms unveiled for what they are. What is true about what is being said in the more advanced of the New Age mystics, is that it's very important to keep one's consciousness in a state of yes, in a state of joy, in a state of love, in a state of compassion, even for one's enemies, so-called enemies. But that is not idiot compassion. I do not hate Donald Trump. I do not despise him. I do not waste any time on any kind of denigration of him. I see him clearly for what he is, a very destructive force. I pray for his illumination, but I am not going to sit back and allow him to deport millions and millions of young people who have worked to stay here. I'm not going to sit back and let him destroy the Paris Accords, which are our one last hope to heal the environment. I I am not going to sit back and let him denigrate 
and humiliate women, and I am not going to sit back in the name of some fake spirituality and let him and his cohorts destroy democracy. This is insane. What isn't insane is the work that I and other sacred activists do to keep our hearts in a state of truth and joy and love and to extend that love even to Donald Trump, but without idiot compassion, because at a certain moment, if that love is not received and if there isn't a transformation in the hearts of the powerful, we the people are going to have to claim our power and stand up for truth and justice. Otherwise, we'll bequeath to our children a complete, desolate, stinking, arid, sterile, destroyed wasteland. One of the things I love, thank you, by the way, for that. You, <laughs> that was exactly what I was looking for. You, When you say it, it's so clear, and uh, thank you. One of the things I loved about Saturday, uh, Andrew, besides the fact that it was like 85% women, and I think women are finding their power and standing up for themselves, not only as women, but primarily as citizens, as human beings, uh, as mothers, as parents, as sisters and daughters. And, and um, As representatives of the Divine Mother with her passion yes. for protection and for her passion for the real human future. That's uh, what's so amazing. Yeah, I, I love the passion, the whole idea. We did a series of podcasts for five years called Focused Passion, and uh, it's a wonderful word to be passionate, you know, and again, this idea that if you're spiritual, you have to be meek and mild and passive, not passionate. Was Jesus only meek and mild? He had a great humility and a great tenderness, but my God, when Jesus got angry, he got angry on behalf of the poor, on behalf of the abused, on behalf of the dispossessed, on behalf of those who were being destroyed by an evil system. And that passion is holy. That passion is divine. And without that passion, you will never have the energy to rise up. That passion has to be purified. And this is one of the central tenets of sacred activism. In my book, The Hope, I talk about how essential it is to claim one's anger as holy, but not to rest in one's anger, to let your anger be transmuted by divine grace and by sacred practice into fierce compassion energy that can fuel real radical action. That's what the great animal activists do. That's what those who are fighting peacefully for justice all over the world do. And that's what this extremely comatose, deluded spiritual movement that has taken over a great deal of the United States has to do now to not be colluders with dark power. That, of course, is my understanding of redemption. It's a refinement of awareness. It's a, you used an alchemical term, it's a transmutation. We're burning off the dross and revealing the the golden beauty and truth that awaits inside. It's all, it's there. We don't have to go any place to get it. Just what did Rumi say? Let go of everything that's not love. Well, he also said passion is the supreme elixir that destroys all faults. Passion will 
save you from exhaustion. So don't grow cynical and brutal. Look for passion, 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 passion. Run, my friends, far away from all false solutions. Let divine passion rebirth you in yourself. One of the ways in which this whole New Age movement has been a secret colluder with dark power has been its demonization of passion and its promulgation of enlightenment as a sweet, fake, cheerful serenity. That is disgusting in the face of what we're going through. There must be a profound peace in the soul, but that comes from the realization of one's deathless consciousness. And that peace is not an end in itself. It is the foundation for the force of sacred passion that has to rise in your broken open heart to give you a real sense of what's going on and to fuel your sacred mission to turn up to do something real about the real pain and the real horror and the real madness that is really threatening now the whole human experiment. You know, Andrew, you, you just touched on something that I've heard you say in the past, and I just love it. There's a saying that ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. And no. I hear you saying, don't be afraid of a broken heart. You're made for that. Absolutely. Not only don't be afraid of a broken heart, be afraid if your heart isn't broken. <laughs> be afraid if you don't feel heartbreak at this time. Right. Be really afraid because then you've been taken over by a flatline culture that wants to keep you passive, that wants to keep you grounded in a fake serenity, that wants to keep you inactive as it does its dirty, filthy work of destroying the planet. Don't be afraid of heartbreak because, as all the great mystics tell us, and as I myself have experienced a hundred thousand times, heartbreak is your initiation into profound, ecstatic, burning love, divine love, for the whole of reality and for every sentient being, and for the mission that you've been created and embodied on the earth to enact. At this point, I'm anxious to go to the book about joy that you've just yes. written, your newest book. But let's, maybe as a way of segueing in that direction, talk a bit about the nature of self-awareness and how we can't really just think our way to higher consciousness. Well, one of the great stupidities of the New Age has been to believe that simply by mouthing mystical texts, usually out of context and with very little understanding of them, you're actually in the true mystical state. There is no self-consciousness without a massive effort of spiritual practice, which over years of devotion and steady application results through grace in a revelation that you are divine. You cannot even begin to imagine what divine consciousness is in ego consciousness because any imagination of it will be stained and corrupted by the ego's own secret lust for power. So what everyone who really wants to have authentic self-consciousness has to do is what every great mystic 
stick of every great tradition has always done, which is get on their knees, start praying, start meditating, start longing deeply for God, start cleaning the mirror of your heart by saying the name of God again and again in the heart with deep longing so that the divine can clean that mirror and reflect in it purely and with great radiance the truth of reality, which is that everything is frozen light, that the whole of the creation is made out of one great shattering light with which you are not two. That is the only thing that can be called self-consciousness, and it's something that arrives late in the path and is only given to those who have done the true deep sometimes grueling, sometimes very painful work. Anything else that claims to be self-consciousness is horseshit. <laughs> I have been reading recently about Buddha's five aggregates. and Yes, marvelous. It, it, it's a bit complicated, as Buddha, Buddhism often is, and I'm wondering if you could help me uh, simplify it a little bit, just... I know there's dangers in doing that, but is it basically as simple as saying that we have a mental, emotional, and physical nature, yes. then a perception of the world, and the fifth aggregate is the awareness of the previous four? Yes. Everybody who really looks into themselves and has any glimpse of authentic self-awareness comes to understand that we are compounded of a mental body, a heart body, an emotional body, and a physical body. And they all have shadows and limitations and follow strange laws of their own, which you have to really understand if you're going to release yourself from the thrall that your agitated mind and hysterical heart and desire-ridden body constantly subject you to. If you're going to be released from them, you're going to have to understand how they work, and Buddhism has an extraordinary perceptive science of how to understand them. But the great good news, and this is a good news that, of course, all the great mystics know, but the Buddha knew with such perfect clarity, is that we all have, as well as these conflicting bodies, we have a bodhi, a, a real, deep, calm, witnessing lucid self-awareness and it's contacting that through sacred practice especially the practice of meditation that allows you over time not to be subject to the agitation of your mind to the hysteria of your heart to the desires of your body but to become lucidly aware of how those things entrap you and to witness how dangerous following those things can be and over time to release you from those things and achieve, as the Buddhists call it, nirvana, release. You know, I, for years, did a variety of meditations and integrated it with self-hypnosis and biofeedback and brain entrainment and... You know, after all of this guided imagery and affirmations and all these different techniques, I came home to Vipassana. It's just the... <laughs> Vipassana is the core, the foundation, the best. You can get lost in all of these elaborate meditations, but the more I live, Michael, the more 
I work with very simple forms of mystical practice, vipassana being the most useful because it enables you to remain calm in the essence of yourself and to not react from any of the mental or spiritual or physical or emotional formations to remain calm and centered in the core of yourself. The other practice that I myself find very useful is not useful, inspiring, ecstatically powerful, is saying the name of God in the heart. And this is something that anybody can do if you have any name that is sacred to you of the divine. Say it in the core of your heart and you'll find that over time your heart will become a place that is filled with light, real light. You'll see the divine light in reality and you'll know that reality is divine. Don't go for complicated practices that just flatter the ego. Go for practices that actually bore the hell out of the ego, that simplify your being and give you direct access to the naked simplicity of being. In my mind, one of the ways that I frame it is I think of the way a new parent learns not to be so upset by the temper tantrums of a young child that's acting out. And you can watch that temper tantrum and make sure they don't hurt themselves and monitor their behavior, but you also don't have to give them the credence of somebody who's 35 years old. They are a little, you know, they are having their little hysterical fit there, and that's what my mind does. It wants me to pay attention, and it it wants me to do what it uh, wants me to do, and it wants me to participate in its ridiculous arguments back and forth. People that think they are their thoughts, I often say, well, then when you argue with yourself, how do you know which side to take? (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. Excuse me, I have a gold. That is so perfect. I think... But in my experience, you don't just need what I would call the cool practices, and Vipassana is the masterpiece of cool practices. You also need hard practices. The danger of over-Vipassanaing yourself is that you can get into a state in which Antarctica melting and the disappearance of two-thirds of wildlife by 220 just appear like phenomena, and that can lead you to a very subtle form of extreme dissociation. So what you need to do is to work with heart practices that keep your heart not involved in the drama, but responsive to injustice and to cruelty and to meanness of spirit and prepared to really work in action to heal those. So you need to work with both. Vipassana alone won't do it. I feel that people really essentially need five different kinds of practices. I make clear in the hope you need cool practices that calm you down, that connect you with divine being. You need hot practices, heart practices that keep your heart vibrant and juicy and alert to the pain of the world without being drowned by it. You need prayer practice that keeps you aligned with the will of the divine. You need body practices that allow you to feel your divine energies, such as sacred dance and yoga and reiki. There are a whole slew of them, and they're marvelous. And you need shadow work, because if you're not working on your karmic 
entanglements and on your traumas and on your childhood and on your lust for power and on your subtle illusions that keep you trapped, you're just not really becoming an instrument of the divine. So I think you have to have a holistic vision of sacred practice in order to birth, allow, invite the divine to birth itself in your mind and heart and body. You're listening to Andrew Harvey. is the author of more than, or author and co-author of um, more than 30 books. And we're talking mostly uh, to this point about the hope, which is subtitled A Guide to Sacred Activism. But, Andrew, you have a new book I'd like you to tell us about oh. called Return to Joy. Yes. Well, I am absolutely thrilled with this new book, which I did with my great friend Carolyn Baker. And if those listening haven't met the work of Carolyn Baker yet, look her up. She is one of the most important sacred teachers on the planet. She's written a whole slew of amazingly grounded, real books about the very extreme crisis we're in, and she's faced it head on. She's written books like Sacred Demise, Navigating the Coming Chaos, Love in the Age of Apocalypse. She's fearless. She's blazingly passionate about justice, and she is so clear in the way in which she expresses herself and reaches out to help others. And one day, Carolyn and I, who are old conspirators, was sitting and saying, I am, we were both saying to each other, I'm so fed up of being called a gloom and doom prophet because I'm actually a very joyful person and my work comes from joy. And she said, absolutely, I'm the most joyful person I know because I've discovered that you cannot do the work of sacred activism. You cannot turn up in a time like this and be effective if you haven't grounded your whole being in the joy that is the core of the core of the core of the nature of God. And we both looked at each other and said, we have got to write a book on joy. We've got to write a book on joy that is absolutely not fla-fla, whoopsie-dipsy, whoopsie, new age rubbish, but really begins by saying, as our book does, joy has known as the nature of reality by all authentic mystics, and then goes on to explore the enemies of joy in our culture, in our flatline culture, and then really offers people training, simple but very powerful training, in how to stay connected to the joy that is trying to reach you through music, through art, through nature, through sacred relationship, through the relationship with animals, and I'm looking at my beautiful cat at this moment, so that you can become strong, and so that you can know the joy that passes all understanding, and keep alive and vibrant in it as you go out into the world to deal with the horror of what's happening and not be paralyzed and overwhelmed by it. So we then went on a long journey to really get the essence of what we have experienced and sought together. And we spent a long time writing a very short book because, as Mark Twain said once to a friend of his, I wrote you a 10-page letter because I didn't have time to write a five-page one. <laughs> and what we've done is... We've written a 110-page book in which we have poured the essence of everything that the mystical traditions have taught us and our own lives have taught us with very helpful, simple practices 
And I'm happy to say this, I'm very joyful to say this book has had tremendous reception and is getting out everywhere and is being used by activists everywhere and people of real concern because I think there's a huge famine for real authentic joy now. And without being in joy and without acting out of joy and without acting for the joy of serving the beloved, we're simply not going to be strong enough to deal with what's coming down. Well, I don't think most of us know what it is. I think we conflate it with happiness. Absolutely. What's the diff? Happiness comes and goes. Joy always is and always remains. Happiness is conditional on circumstances. You're happy when someone loves you back. You're happy when you get a nice check through the post that enables you to pay your rent. You're happy when your friends stop squabbling and start actually making up and being kind to each other. These are conditions. Joy, authentic joy, is beyond conditions. It arises from the very core of being. It's something that is our essential nature. And when you discover that, and when you discover it really through sacred practice and through training your being to receive the joy that is actually coming to you from every open flower, from the faces of children, from the deep experience of authentic sexuality, from great music, from the glorious poetry of the glorious mystics of humanity, when you train yourself to drink in that joy, you come to the most amazing realization, which is that you can have that joy and you can be in that joy, whatever is happening in your life. I've had a very, very painful life in many ways and a very wild life. I have had bankruptcies. I have been derided. I've had death threats. I have had all kinds of difficulties. But because I discovered this joy as the core of myself, as every mystic truly does, none of that has ever diverted me from the truth of my life and from the truth of my mission. And I know how powerful finding this joy and living it in any circumstance truly is. One of the things that has moved me the most has been my exploration of Holocaust literature because I've made a great study in my life of the most extreme situations because I know perfectly well the world is going to go into and is already in a very extreme situation. And I remember reading an amazing book about Hasidic masters in the camps and these Hasidic masters were true mystics and even in the camps they sang and they shared their food and many of them went dancing in great joy to their own deaths. That's the joy I'm talking about and that's the joy everyone now needs to connect with because we don't know what's going to happen in the world. We all hope that there will be a worldwide revolution of love in action. We all hope that the powers of darkness will be unraveled. We all hope that there will be a world, but we don't know. We may be in for the most excruciating, long, horrible, global dark night, it seems likely. And we have many, many crises which seem almost impossible to heal, such as the environmental crisis, because the environment is now in free fall. What we do know, and what the mystics tell us, is that if we do the work of spiritual practice, if we truly turn our whole being to the beloved in longing and in faith, and if we 
proclaim our sacred mission and enact it, come what may, we will be fed intravenous joy. And we will be able to live in joy, whatever happens. And I know this now. I'm not speaking about something I read. I'm not speaking about something I'm hoping for. I'm living it. And many, many hundreds of thousands of people are living it. And it's time that the whole world lives it. I think animals, many animals, spend most of their lives in bliss and joy. Absolutely. The birds singing in the tree, the hawks soaring on the updrafts, the the way a big cat walks through the jungle. Um, I mean, there's a a contentment, a peace. It's like we've got all of this. It's not that we need to go somewhere, it seems to me, or get something. No, it's the original blessing of being. We get in our own way, right? Yes. Well, we buy the false images of joy, too, because one of the things we go into great detail in the book is how our culture systematically, in a way, tries to deprive us of this joy in the name of a fake fun and happiness, a fundamentalism of fun. They have something to sell us to take its place. Right. And they don't want us to discover that we actually don't need any of the stuff that they're trying to sell us. We don't need to be kept in a perpetual sense that we're too thin or too fat or not clever enough or not healthy enough. We have this radiant joy as a gift from God at the core of our being. And if we discover that, we won't be slaves of this robotic system. We won't be cowed by the horror of the world. We won't be defeated by defeats. We'll be able to keep humbly going, fed by this joy, doing the work of love. Andrew, um, I have a number of people asking questions by text. I don't have any callers yet. Callers, if you want to ask Andrew a question live, start two on your telephone touchpad. But we have no shortage of questions from people submitting text messages. Well, that would be lovely. Uh, Let's go in. Let's do it together. Okay, well, first of all, a quick one. Tim in Campbell, California, wants to know how you spell Vipassana and just a quick outline of what kind of meditation. It's also called insight meditation, right? Absolutely. Vipassana is V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. And fundamentally... Vipassana is watching your thoughts, not identifying with them. If you imagine your essential nature as a radiant sun, then you can imagine your thoughts as clouds that passing across the sun. Let them pass so that over time as you simply sit in silence watching your thoughts, you come to experience something that will amaze you, which is that you have what is called in the mystical traditions a witness consciousness, a stainless, pure, spacious awareness that is actually able to watch without identification everything that arises. And this over time will give you a great, calm, humble, confident peace. 
and you'll be able to approach whatever situation you find yourself in with that calm, spacious peace that will enable you to react in a wise, appropriate way, not governed by your karma, not governed by your fantasies, not governed by your emotions, but guided by the deep wisdom that is also an inherent power in that awareness. Don't believe me. Try it. And if you really are serious about Vipassana, go to one of the great Vipassana teachers, and there are many. There are wonderful teachers in California, Tim. You could go to Spirit Rock and learn Vipassana from Jack Cornfield, who is a marvelous Buddhist teacher. I would vouch for Jack, too, yeah. Oh, he's wonderful and such I wish a... you were here, Andrew. I wish you were in California. We really use you out here, but uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I wanted to share a, a little technique that uh, I don't even remember where I learned it anymore, but I've taught this in classes. In fact, uh, when I was training the sheriff's deputies in Orange County, I used to put this on the board behind a movie screen, and after a video, I'd raise the screen and ask them to read the sentence that I'd written three times silently to themselves. And the sentence was, I can hear the voice in my head reading this sentence. And I'd give them 20 or 30 seconds to read that over, and then I'd say, how many of you think you are the voice in your head? And, of course, they'd all raise their hands. Right. And I said, well, that's understandable. I didn't want to embarrass them. I said, most people believe that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I said, but I have one question. Who is this? And I drew a circle around I can hear. Lovely. Exactly. That's it. So we're not the voice in our head. It's just... If we, we're if listening to the us, voice. If the person yeah, who's listening well, we should is the witness. <laughs> but that takes a step back, one step yes. back. And that takes a real commitment to practice because one of the things that you discover, Tim, as you go into true meditation is that its results aren't immediate. Some people who perhaps have past life experiences in meditation have very wonderful experiences. But for most of us, the initial experience of meditation is just, oh, my God, I would rather be doing anything than sitting here watching my thoughts. Because you come to understand just how crazy your mind really is. That's the first stage. But if you persist and if you really trust the great mystics of the traditions who have told you and told all of us that this is the way to connect with this spacious awareness, over time you'll come to feel this lovely soft gap between the you that is watching and the things that are arising. And that gap is so precious because feeling that gap, really feeling it in your mind and heart and body and feeling the peace of it will enable you to react with a much more loving and compassionate truth to everything that happens. I'd love to do a show with you sometime down the line where we talk only about technique, meditations, and, and the chanting that. you talked to. Yeah, that'd be great. I have a comment or a question from Angelica in Redondo Beach, and she says that um, she read someplace an essay or an article where the author was saying that in many ways 
Donald Trump is a reflection of our shadow side in a young sense, I guess. And she says, Andrew, could you expand on this? Well, Donald Trump incarnates the most frightening shadows of our human nature and of the history of America. If you think about the history of America, you think of the noble ideals that formed the Constitution, but you also think, of course, of the genocide of the Native Americans, which has never been dealt with. You think of the genocide that that was slavery and the horrible racism that has followed. You think of the genocide of the animals. You think of the orgy of greed that has taken over the culture, the sanctification of greed. All of these shadows the shadows of power, the shadows of narcissism, the shadows of a desire to dominate nature and exploit nature in the name of power. All these shadows are concretized in Donald Trump and his policies and in the cabinet that he's chosen. When you really see that, it's very sobering and very humbling because if you're really doing shadow work, and this is how shadow work has to be done, I believe, you see that you contain all of those in yourselves, aspects of all of those in yourself. So calling Donald Trump the incarnation of the shadow doesn't get you off the hook. You have to realize that in a certain and profound sense, you are Donald Trump. The only hope that we'll ever have of truly resisting the policies that Donald Trump is trying to put through to potentially disastrous effect is truly understanding how our own shadows and his shadows and the shadows of America and the shadows of human nature and the shadows of the world at this moment are in a mysterious unity because when you do that work and really face how you are Donald Trump and face your lust for power, your greed, your hunger for celebrity, your desire to dominate, your capacity to lie to get what you want, then you comprehend first how powerful those shadows are, and second, you have deeper compassion for those trapped in those shadows, and third, you have much more skillful means to deal with those who have surrendered to those shadows without any lucidity and without any compassion. And we're going to need all of those things. We're going to need that compassion, which is not idiot compassion, as I said. And we're going to need the skillful means that can only come from understanding the shadow and understanding the depth of its seductiveness and understanding how people can so easily get seduced and ensnared by their shadows and really trying to reach out to people to help them see and with compassion and without judgment, but with real fierce love. You know, when we talk about... As does that I make sense to you, what I oh said? Oh, my God, yes, it certainly does. When, we, when I talk about the absurdity of hating hate, and Dr. King has that wonderful line about you cannot drive out darkness with darkness, only of light course can not. do that. No, you only can't. consciousness can truly... Making the darkness conscious drains you of hatred but equips you with real, stable, skillful means to deal with the dark. So what do we call that when 
people who do hate scare us. Do we just say, I'm afraid? Yes. I think you do several things. I think you say to yourself, why am I so scared by this hatred when I know that my essential nature is love? And that makes you look at your own unhealed nature. I think the second thing you say to yourself is, where do I still hate? I'm pretending that I'm this all-compassionate being, but look how irritated I get with people who don't agree with me, for example. (laughs) Isn't that a form of hatred? There's something that can begin the process of hatred. And then you really, really make a commitment in the core of yourself to clean yourself at the deepest levels of those shadows that draw you into the vortex of hatred because all the great teachers have said two things. They've said you must see the danger and horror of what the dark can do. You cannot turn away, but you must also do the deep inner work that makes you loving towards even those who are trapped in evil so that you can help them as well as all those who are being tortured by that evil. This is the position of the Christ. This is the position of the Mahayana Bodhisattva. This is the authentic mystical position. This is the position of the sacred activist. It demands a lot of work. It does. And in that sense, I have a question from Elizabeth in Venice, California, and she says she's blown away that there's so much excellent information you're offering here. She wants to know how how, how, it's true. I mean, you you, uh, give me pause every time I listen to you, and I've spent my whole life with this material. That's what I love about it. It's always new again. <laughs> of course it is. And we all have you when I listen to you I get excited because you've been on a deep journey and I think what we're modeling in our dialogue is the excitement of two sincere people talking from the depths of their hearts about reality. Oh, thank you. I feel that. Uh Elizabeth wants to know how she can hear it again, so let me assure everyone that this program uh, in about 30 minutes, actually, is going to go into replay on the very same website, the same event page, the same URL. And then I am going to podcast it in a couple of days. And that's available through the iTunes Store, Google Play, uh, the Stitcher app for your smartphone, and just about every other podcast directory in the, the known world. So that's the good news. And it'll well, and the other good news is, Elizabeth, look, my darling, if I've been able to inspire you with my talking, please read The Hope, and please read Return to Joy, because there's so much rich, clear information in them that will truly help you. The Hope has started a global movement of sacred activism, and Return to Joy is inspiring many people. Please avail themselves, avail yourselves of them. They're both in paperback. We've published Return to Joy ourselves because we're so fed up with the publishing world, and you can get it on Amazon, and it's very cheap. It's the cost of a cheap lunch, and it will really help you. I'm not in this business to make money. I'm in this vocation to truly serve my amazing, ragged, heartbroken fellow travelers. Because 
releases joy. <laughs> yes, and because it enables me not to be trapped in the circus of fame and celebrity, which has seduced me as it seduces everybody, but which I've seen through and I no longer want to be any part of. I want at this moment to be as humble a servant of the divine as I can and to help all the other true authentic seekers get down, get real and get going. I love that phrase. There it is again. That's a good note to end on. Besides the people in my life who I know and love and care about and the animals similarly that I know and love and care about, my my greatest joy is being able to do personal development work to dedicate my life to understanding who we are and what we're for, why we think and feel and act the way we do, and that fifth aggregate, the idea that there is an awareness that we can ascend to, shall I say, uh, to a claim that stands above our thoughts, yes. that stands above our emotions, that overshadows our conscious behavior and our perception of the world. Identify with that. You know, I am that I am, the awareness yes. that I am. And then also identify with this. You see, the cool practices help you experience the truth of I am that, the silent, spacious, divine awareness. The heart of practices awaken the heart that gives you the sacred vision of reality that enables you to fall overwhelmingly tenderly in love. So you need to marry the great peace with the great passion, the great silence with the great love, the great intactness with the great heartbreak, the great capacity to witness with the great capacity to act from sacred consciousness to help. And if you can marry those seeming opposites, they're not opposites, they're just different faces of the one, you will be born as a humble divine human being and you'll experience joy and you'll be able to serve until your last breath the truth of reality and the truth of the birth of the new world. I just rediscovered the Lennon-McCartney line. I'd almost forgotten, uh, I am he, and you are he, and you are me, and we are all together. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I love you, Michael, and I love you very much, and we're old friends, and we've had wonderful talks, and you know how deeply I love Doreen, that wild, fiery woman which, with whom you love, whom you love so much and with whom you live. One of the reasons I love you is that you've, taken your consciousness work beyond the so-called spiritual seekers. You've worked with policemen and so-called ordinary people. You've worked with people in real-life situations. And that's so important because I myself love to go to prisons. I love to go and talk to my marine buddies. I love to share with them what I've learned. I love to speak to policemen and people who are really active in the world. And I find amazing receptivity in those people and amazing capacity to access this consciousness because it's everybody's. We all have it. We're born with it. That's the thrilling discovery that's awaiting everyone who takes this path. It's true. People uh, in prison with 
face tattoos who you think would rip your head off for no reason at all and might in a certain situation are uh, absolute pussycats in other situations who oh love their God. mothers <laughs> and uh, pray to Jesus and, you know, want to be nice guys. They just don't know how. They got on drugs or there's a million stories. But there is a spiritual essence deep in the heart, the soul of of every living thing, every human, every animal, every plant, every raindrop, and it's shining all around us. We should never, never doubt it. And that brings us full circle. These are desperately terrible, dark times with the promise of the kingdom come. That's it. The darkest times could potentially birth a wholly new way of being and doing everything in yeah. your life and my life, and I'm sure the lives of many people listening yeah. are dedicated to that birth. We should never lose hope. We should never lose courage. We must do the inner work, and we must turn up and do the outer work fueled by sacred consciousness. And everybody who does that will discover joy and the meaning of their lives. And whatever happens, we will have lived a truly beautiful, holy human life. Andrew Harvey, the author of a million different books, but we're going to recommend tonight that you pick up The Hope, A Guide to Sacred Activism, which has been out for a few years, and the brand new book that he has written with Carolyn Baker called Return to Joy. Nice little, you can read it in an evening, right, Andrew? Absolutely. All right. Well, listen. God bless you. Thank you so very much. We love you dearly, and I just feel blessed to even know you and that we can reach out to you through this webinar and podcast. Oh, please. Anytime you want me to appear with you, Michael, I really choose now whom I speak with because at this moment I don't waste an ounce of my energy, and I know your heart, and I know the beautiful intention behind everything you do, so I'd be honored. Ever, anytime you want me, I'm your man, That's as Leonard wonderful. Cohen would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, I hope you get over that little cold that's hanging on. Oh, I think I you're going to put that down any day now. So I am. I see that happening. And again, many, many thanks. And uh, to everyone listening to us here this evening, again, this program will go into replay in about 20 or 25 minutes and be there forevermore. But more importantly, in a couple of days, I'm going to polish it, equalize it, compress it, make it sound even better, and then we're going to podcast it to the world. And this program is heard, I promise you, all over the world. It's heard throughout Asia, in China, inland China. It's heard wow. in the Middle East, in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. It's heard all across Europe. Just a little bit in Africa and South America. Those continents don't, there's not a lot of English speaking in those areas, but I'm amazed at the number of people in Asia and the Middle East. And of course, our friends down under in Australia and Tasmania and New Zealand are listening. So there's a real wow. hunger, a thirst, as you said before, Andrew, for this kind of material. And I'm just thrilled to be able to be a part of it. Thank you, sir. God bless you, Michael, and love to Doreen. And as always, 
again, thank you, Andrew. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. So long. Good night.